Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inside the Hive. This is Joe Hagan. I'm here with Emily Jane Fox. Hello, old friend. Yay! I feel so happy to be doing this with you. I know. Where have we been? It's been a very active spring for everybody. Everyone's on the move. But here we are, and it feels like no time has passed at all. Well, it's weird because that's how I felt when I interviewed the director, John Chu, and his editorial right arm, Myron Kirstein, who really... Within a week or two, I interviewed exactly one year ago. Crazy. We're sort of doing that circle back thing, and it feels like yes. both everything and nothing has changed in a year, right? It's so strange. It was like a coming out of a time warp that we'd all been in. And a year ago, they had this movie prepared to come out at the theaters in the Heights, the Lin-Manuel Miranda Broadway spectacular converted to cinema by John Chu. It was going to come out in the theaters. Of course, the pandemic came. Boom. And they had to make this really kind of painful decision whether to send it straight to HBO Max or to suspend for a year in hopes that, you know, imagine what your hopes were back in May you know, 2020 in hopes that maybe one day the theaters would open again and there wouldn't be a pandemic. Well, you know, whew, we're here. The Maybe. moment has arrived. And their timing is kind of amazing because what kind of film do you want to go back to the theaters to see? It's this kind, this incredibly optimistic song and dance movie. I just got so excited at the notion of maybe this weekend I'm going to go to the movie theater to see this. It's so in the great tradition of musicals, but also extremely modern. And with all these really beautiful actors and actresses and great singers, and of course, the song and dance numbers, which I talk about the creation of with uh, the director and his editor in the interview we're going to hear today, uh, they're so sophisticated and beautiful, and they hearken back to all kinds of interesting you know, musicals that you may have seen in classic cinema, like Busby Berkeley and these kind of wonderful um, kind of organized choreographies, but also, you know, music videos and, you know, TikTok and every, you know, it's like a, a beautiful kind of synthesis of the history of musicals. You're talking about uh, a musical that's about, uh, you know, this uh, Latino community in Washington Heights and all their dramas and struggles to have their dreams fulfilled. It's really marvelous, very emotional. 
And it's really great because it's for everybody. You know, my kids saw it. They loved it. I saw it. I loved it. And I know that you're going to like it too. I can't wait. I, I saw it on Broadway with the original cast many, many, mm. many years ago. And it was before sort of at least on my radar. I don't think I lived in New York yet. I was either in high school or college. And and Lin-Manuel was not really even on my radar as a thing. It was his first real thing. Right. And I was just completely blown away. I'm so excited to see this version of it because I'm such a fan of of John's. What, what really excites me, I'm just personally excited to see it, but um, I'm a big musical person. And my family were big. We were all big musical people, my sister and I in particular. And uh, because I grew up in Philadelphia, I was so close to New York. We used to come up to the city all the time and see Broadway shows. But some of the movies that I watched the most as a kid were these like really not great versions of musicals. Like we watched the Mary Martin version of Peter Pan probably 700 times. Bye Bye Birdie was on extreme repeat. Obviously, Grease, we watched constantly. Um, there was like the, a version of Cinderella that we watched pre the brandy version of Cinderella. Um, the, the one before that, and they were, the quality was fairly terrible on all of these. What excites me so much is that for my daughter, she will have this new version of being able to watch these musicals on film that are just so well done. And the, the music is still as great and the singing is still as great, but the production value is so great and they're fun for the whole family. I'm very excited about this this part of the next stage. Well, exactly to your point, these guys talked about how now that the theaters are opening back up, it's going to be seen in 5,300 cinemas wow. in America, which is a, lot, a big number. Yeah. Thinking about where we were, you know, even two weeks ago or even a month ago. Totally. There, There's going to be an entire generation for whom this will be their first musical. Right. Okay. And that's so exciting for them. And it's so exciting for us. And it's just a it's a great time to be alive. I'm really I feel so hopeful. It's it's interesting because I'm back in Los Angeles now uh, getting ready to have this baby. And L.A., I feel like is like six weeks behind New York in terms of COVID. Like being in New York, it sort of felt like COVID was over a little bit. Like you're allowed to yeah. not wear masks places. And in L.A., it's still pretty like. I went to the farmer's market on Sunday and it was, everyone was still fully in a mask outside, which New York, I think has sort of moved away from. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm curious what it would be like to go to a movie theater here. I think it would be empty still. And I think that's a weird thing, but I'm, I'm excited to try and do it. And this feels like really the perfect foray into that. It's, it's something I would be happy to watch at home, but I think I would be so much happier to watch in a theater. Well, everybody's going to have the option because it's going to be on HBO Max and it's going to be in the theaters. It premiered last night in Washington Heights at a movie theater and the director and the cast were all there. And um, they talk about that experience uh, in the interview as well. It was obviously really emotional because they shot this thing in 2019. So it's almost like a time capsule for them. Right. And now here they are finally after having their dreams put on hold as as it had been put on hold for a lot of us. And so I think the stars aligned for these guys. It's a great uh, movie, but it's also a great backstory and they tell it well. And I'm excited for people to hear it. It feels like a great little uh, metaphor for sort of what we've all been feeling and experiencing and living and maybe all start to have our little dreams realized and uh, get past these time capsules and, and go into what we really want to see happen over the next stretch of time. Should we just get into the interview? I'm dying to hear it. 
Let's go. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, welcome back to Inside the Hive. John Chu, Myron Kirstein. We're here to talk about In the Heights. It premiered yesterday as we sit here and record on a Thursday. This is the big weekend for In the Heights to be in the theaters. A year ago, we were talking about, we were just in a completely different world. Uh, it's kind of shocking that it was really within a week or two that w you guys were on this program. We were talking about, there's a pandemic, now what? And there was a decision made to delay this movie for a year. Well, John, I mean, how are you feeling now a year later having made that decision? Well, it, at, at the time, if, it was very, very hard. At the time, it was m probably more emotional than I uh, gave it credit for because there were so many other things to worry about. I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of what's happening with the world, like what's, what's going on. So I started to put it away in a box and compartmentalize it. And, um, but throughout that year, it was, it was really hard to think that we had this movie that I knew was special, um, that I was very proud of. And I knew that the world would benefit from in terms of feeling the joy and the love because it already affected us. Like it already was in our life. And so we knew what it, how the engine that it gave us. So that was the heart. But now looking at the timing, I don't know. There's something spiritual about the, the timing. I, you, you, how do you throw a, a dart at a calendar and suddenly be the moment that this story is supposed to be told? Um, so yeah. I, I feel just very... Um, Zen. I feel very, I surrender and let's yeah. see what happens. I was one of those naysayers where I was like, no, let's release it now. Let's stream. This is a mistake. Who knows when this pandemic's going to end? You know, who knows if the theaters are going to open up in, in a year, two years, three years? Like, and at the same time, I was staring at an avid. They had the GW Bridge as an image and it was taunting me and saying, you know, I could press play right now and watch this movie and cry and laugh. And I want to share that with the rest of the world. So it was really confusing to have that right in front of me in my living room, by the way, because we had moved the Avid from New York to my living room. For our listeners, that's the editing software that you use to cut the movie. Correct. So, you know, you know, when we began editing this film, we had a, a staff of 20 in all these offices in New York City. Um, and then now we're in my living room, you know, and John's in his living room and we're cutting virtually. And so it, it, it really screws with your brain and not to, so, uh, and selfishly, I really wanted the film to be out there for my career and I wanted the film to be out there to express that joy and the feelings that I knew that, uh, it would be a healing thing for an audience. And, um, but I was wrong. I was dead wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody was sort of in a world of uh, leap of faith there. You had came to a crossroads. You had to make a decision. 
now I think about a year later in the Heights, I've seen it. It's incredibly beautiful. It's a musical. It's about community of people um, with their uh, sueñitos, their dreams, you know, and trying to struggle and, and get them to happen. And you guys wanted it to be in a theater. And now here we are. It's basically the opening of the theaters. And this film is like kind of a call to arms to return to the theaters. I mean, it couldn't have happened more in a magical way, right? <laughs> yeah. And in, in a way, it was like I had a lot of questions when I started, started the movie uh, for Lynn and Kiara of the struggle of Washington Heights. And, and I was like, what's I don't understand the blackout thing. Like we get blackouts in California. Why is that? And like, you don't yeah, understand yeah. when you lose your power. And you're the last on the list, and you don't know when you're going to get it back. You don't know how it feels every time. And, and that what does it create? You turn to the people that you love and that you think about most. And they're like, it's a very uh, community feeling. It actually is, there's a, beautiful, there's a beauty to it that you help each other up. And so it feels very appropriate that now the world knows what it feels like to feel powerless, to not have control of the situation. And it's going to be Washington Heights and these people to show, like, you can get back up. Because they know how. Yeah. Just in a personal aside, I just want to say that I was there for the New York blackout that this movie obviously references or Lynn was referencing. Myron and I, uh, the editor of In the Heights, we were have been friends for many years. I think maybe you were there at the time. I can't remember. But you, it's exactly right. What you're saying is the lights went out. Suddenly, everybody came out on the street and there was a sense of communal kind of pulling together. I remember seeing people directing traffic who were not traffic <laughs> operators or cops or anything. They were just out trying to do it and help people, you know, get along. People were giving away ice cream. And so when I watched this movie, it brought me back there and it was so accurate in the feeling of us being, it was sweltering, just like in this movie. And, and exactly what you're saying, uh, it, it, I remember it being a healing thing exactly because it came after 9-11. And when the lights and the power went out, people had that feeling of, oh God, now what's going to happen? It didn't turn out to be anything bad, or it turned out to be something that we could get through together anyway. And so the poetry of the whole thing happening now, it really hit me. You know, it was emotional watching this film. Um, and even in the show, it gets more dangerous than it does in the movie. In the show, you know, there's a fire and there's a thing. There's like that's a right. Yeah, and the abuela is having her health thing, and this is a big dramatic moment in the movie. Yeah, in the in the, yeah, and in the show, and in the movie, we it changed because of our discussions with Lynn and Kiara of the neighborhood itself, and how actually that it's there that the beauty of coming together, and that there is this promise of this great dinner that they were going to have that gets broken up by uh, this fight, and yet the the the, the, the dinner does happen. It just happens yeah. a lot later, and it happens with the leftovers and and cell phone lights, and they're right. playing games, and there's there's that that beauty is just um, very healing, especially at this. Yeah, time. well, now it's like um, you know the theaters are beginning to open. It's a great time to bring everybody back into the theater to see a, a movie, and especially this one because it's made for this. And the reason a year ago you didn't want this going straight to Netflix or wherever. Uh, it wouldn't have been Netflix, right? HBO, um, it would have been HBO Max, and it's still HBO Max, but we have right. our theatrical uh, arms. Yeah, yeah, but you wanted it to be in a theater because it's kind of made for that. It's a spectacular, right? It's a song and dance movie. Yeah, yeah you have to see the details. You have to see the, the feel the intimacy and feel the grandness all at the same time. 
Um, and, and, and you have to take the time to watch. You have to pay attention. This movie isn't something you can watch while cooking dinner. You just have to be there because if you're not, it just, I don't know, there's a lack of respect uh, for these stories and uh, we want the utmost respect for them. And the reason why we, there was a huge discussion about whether we should stream it last year and we had a big debate about it amongst ourselves. And the thing that I came away with most when I was sitting there banging my head against the wall was that in Crazy Rich Asians, the reason why I think it helped move things along in this business is because a, a company like Warner Brothers, like AT&T, promoted, uh, spent millions of dollars to promote our actors who don't look like the traditional Hollywood movie stars and instead said, this is the new Hollywood movie star and these are the people who are going to be on the cover of Entertainment Weekly, on the cover of Time, on the cover of whatever. They're going to host SNL. They're going to... And so it, it puts this message out as big of a marketing department as any big brand to say that th these people are worth, worth it, are worthy. And that has a bigger effect on what we've seen Crazy Rotations change than anything else. Not the movie itself. It's everything mm -hmm. around it. I was just watching a trailer for Eternals starring Gemma Chan, the Marvel's movie. The Marvel movie. And the two ads that led up to the Marvel movie was uh, Henry Golding playing uh, Snake Eyes and the second one was Shang-Chi, the other Marvel movie with Aquafina. And it just made it very clear. This is three years ago that we made that movie. And now... They're the leads of these giant uh, tent poles. And for me, that's what I told Lynn, that that's what we want for this cast for In the Heights. We know they have the goods. We know Anthony Ramos is going to be an action star, a romantic star. A, uh, he can, he, he's going to lead a whole new way of what the leading man looks and feels like. Melissa uh, and Leslie and Corey, they're all going to do it. And so he's like, you're right. We got to make them spend the money to market this movie right. And yeah. here we are. Anthony, I didn't know it was going to happen, but we put the pressure on, and lo and behold, the movie's actually coming out in the theater, and uh, Anthony's on the cover of Time magazine, and they're getting the moment, and Oprah is talking about it, and The Rock is talking about it, Ariana Grande is talking about it, Hugh Jackman, and this is, these, these people aren't paid. You can't even right. like, go approach their agents about this kind of stuff. They're just doing it because they feel it. Yeah. Oh, man. I Well, as soon as I watched it, I started following Anthony Ramos on Instagram, and I saw that he got his driver's license this week. <laughs> Why did you pick this week, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. He was very excited about it, and it was charming. Um, what are they? What is the status of theaters right now? I mean, some of them are opening, a lot of them are opening, but there's probably limited openings. What is the studio thinking, and what are they expecting in terms of people coming to the theater? I mean, I don't know all the details, but I do know that, you know, I think we're in like 5,300 screens, which is not, um, which is a lot of screens, not, not, not the same as it was pre-pandemic, but it's a, it's a healthy number. Um, that said, the capacity is still 35% uh, in a lot of places, some 50%, um, but it's changing daily. So, so who knows what happens in the coming weeks? Um, and so there is a... Um, there is a handicap, no doubt. Plus, we are on HBO Max still, so people who don't feel comfortable can still watch it at home. And so that takes, I'm sure, a little hit. Um, and, 
and we'll see. I know Quiet Place did last uh, two weeks ago, uh, did very, very well, but that was also only on theatricals. So they made like $50 million over uh, five days, I think more than that, actually. And um, that's, that's, that's a big accomplishment. That means people are looking to come out. And, uh, and then last week with Conjuring 2, uh, I believe it made like 23 or 25. Uh, so it shows a consistency. And those are, those are, those are hor- horror films. And so the, you know, there's, a, there's a compelling reason to go to a theater and be scared with other people. What's yeah. more of a family film, a musical? Um, I don't know. We'll see. I think there's anticipation or hope that people who have not gone to the movie theater yet, this will be their first. I think it's like yeah. 96% of the people who say they're going to see In the Heights are going to be first-time moviegoers in a year. That's a, that's a, we're going to open up the net. And I think that's a good sign. Yeah, well, and and this could establish an entire you know screen going history for some young people. I, I was mentioning before we started taping that uh, before I saw a screener of the movie so that we could talk about it, uh, my wife had already bought tickets to the theater, unbeknownst to me, and uh, so I'm going to see it at the theaters also because she was like, "Oh, this would be great for us all to go back." You know, so oh, I think right I can't be the only one, right? Um, <laughs> but. Um, I think uh, so. I'm, you know, I love movie musicals, and uh, there's, I, there's a lot I want to ask you about just the making of one is, uh, in a moment. But um, why did you originally decide to do this one? I'm, I'm curious. I, my reading of it was that you signed up to do this and Crazy Rich Asians as a twofer, right? Uh, like a yeah. Why this movie? What what? Why did you decide you wanted to do it? I mean, I remember seeing it over a decade ago. Um... I, when I was shooting my first movie, Step Up to the Streets, and one of our dancers um, was in the original Broadway cast. So he's like, come up. His name is Luis Salgado. And he said, come up. And so we went up and watched. I didn't. I never heard of Lin-Manuel Miranda before. Um, and I watched this show, uh, Jaw on the Floor, as anybody who experienced the Lin-Manuel show for the first time does. And, But it wasn't. It was there was something deeper than just a show. It was speaking something about growing up as an immigrant child of child of immigrants that I could not express myself. Like I had didn't ha- even though I was a creative storyteller, I did not have the ability to put down in words, uh, let alone song and dance, what it felt like to be raised not by your parents but by your uh, aunties and uncles and to have an abuela Claudia who was my boo boo who taught me how to <laughs> fold dumplings. Um, and he did it. Him and Kiara have this amazing, pure voice that cuts through the barriers of culture and instead goes to the intersections of humanity. And as detailed as it was, and I didn't know all those details, it filled me. And so it placed this imprint on me that for 10 years I always kept. And so when I got approached by uh, Scott Sanders and Mary Jacobs, who are the, are the producers, of course I leapt at the chance. At that time, I had done seven movies with dance, and I knew that I had I could bring something new to that show. I knew that there were things on theater that uh, actually held that show back because I knew that on, on, on a, in cinema, you can go not just bigger with 10,000 feet in the air, whatever, a pool. You could go two inches from their face, and that intimacy of that story, the intimacy in which this, these songs were written, you read the lyrics, they're super intimate, that mm-hmm. Lynn in his bedroom is writing about. You know, in a theater, it's hard to serve that. And, and we had now an ability to really get in there at a granular level um, to show the contradictory nature of, of growing up here, the uh, confusion, the 
the messiness of relationships that happen because of that, of your own identity issues. Uh, and so I, I thought the opportunity was great. My music side, my identity side, the place I was in my life about just having a child um, or about to have a children, I think at that time, um, passing on your story, uh, to me that it all just sort of matched up. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. While I was watching the movie, there's this beautiful scene. Those who haven't seen it yet, you might have even seen it in the trailer of uh, where everybody ends up at the community pool. It's like a, you know, extremely hot day. Everybody's there. All the different kind of like uh, romantic interests and uh, all the characters are, are there. And they're all going to be a part of this big musical uh, sequence. And, you know, it's reminiscent of like a Busby Berkeley kind of um you know, there's beautiful patterns of people swimming in the pool, and it's really beautiful. And I thought a lot about you, Myron, because I was thinking, you know, editing is such a big part of this. This is one of those things you can do on film that you can't do in a uh, stage, right? But I wanted to get you guys to maybe tell me, both of you, um, about the making of that scene. Because I'm always curious. I'm watching it. I'm like, how did they do this? You know, like... Um, and is you know is some of this CGI? What am I looking at when I'm seeing this? Uh, there seems like there's a lot went into it. And how do you even conceive it? I mean, you must have had a choreographer, um, but you're somebody who has an eye for this stuff. Maybe you can tell me about just the making of that scene. Where do you start? Well, I started by visiting John on set, and it was one of the few times I had gone to set. And um, usually, I have an arm's length because I don't want to be. Um, I don't want it, uh, it to influence what I'm doing, but I had to be there for that musical number for sure. My <clears throat> my son was actually an extra <laughs> in that scene. John was nice enough to put him in there. Um, Myron has to pay SAG dues now, so. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but it was really helpful to see um, just the people, the community, you know. Uh, there because you could literally see you know p people grilling on the side you know their hibachis you know lining along the side of the pool and you could see people with tattoos and all you know all ty types of you know body types and you know someone who's like seven year old uh to someone in who's in their 60s you know dancing so it was really helpful to see this community and at the end of the day that that number is about like our main um, characters, individual stories, but also the community, they're all trying to figure out what would they do with that money. 
Just to, just to back up, I just want to say, yeah, there's a lottery. T- I forgot about this, and I'm going to contextualize it. There's a lottery ticket. Uh, there's going to be a winning lottery ticket. Everybody's buying the lottery. It's worth $96,000, and that's the sort of uh, – is that the name of the song? 96000 yeah. 96000 and so everybody's fantasizing about what they might do with this 96000 And so it's the dreams, the sueñitos of the community are all kind of, um, you know, coming together here. But um, – and where was that shot? Uh, that was that hybrid uh, pool over there in, in Washington Heights. You know, just to, the sequence where everybody is seen from the aerial shot. Was that complicated to pull off? I mean, you got to see what these old films that that did that really had to do to make to get there. I mean, how did you learn about that? Well, for me, I, when we when it wasn't scripted, we went to the pool was not scripted. It was on the tour that Kiara and, and Lynn uh, introduced us to this pool just to show us personally. And when we opened those doors, I was like, this place is huge. I'd never seen pools yeah. this big. And of course, when you see pools like that, you're like, it evokes Esther Williams. It evokes Busby yeah. Berkeley, of course. And we're like, yeah. oh, we could do that here. And it sort of started as a joke. <laughs> and then as we got in the van, we were like, Kiara and I looked at each other like, I think we have to do it now. Like, I think we, <laughs> we said it out loud. So now yeah. it has to happen. And how beautiful it would be. And then the next question was like, our, our costume designers, well, should they all match and be all in these like white outfits? And you're like, no, 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 no. Like, let them be who they are. Let's show, show the tattoos. Let's show the piercings. Let's show the, the colored hair. Let's show the sizes and the age differences and how beautiful that patchwork is. And that they can also still give that elegance and joy that, that you think is attached to something else. But it's not. Um, and um, in the same way as saying that any of these people could have been in those old musicals if they had been allowed to, and they would have been just as effective. Um, I, we, I, we love that. Um, and what Myron brought to it that I just, this is why I love working with Myron, and I insist of, on him when I work on anything, as long as he's available. Uh, and I'm afraid this movie might make him less available, so I'm trying to keep people out. Um, <laughs> is that he, um, he understands the wonder of movies. He understands the escapism of movies, but that's not the driving force, that it's actually a reflection. It's a mirror of us. It's a mirror of, our, of, the, of the pits in our hearts that can't be filled by um, happy endings, that actually need support to, to keep swimming, actually, um, not a platform to end up on. And he looks for those things. So the shots of not the big dance numbers, of course, those are kind of the easy parts. Um, He finds moments of yearning, of regular background actors in the locker room that are um, looking at their ticket, just looking, sitting there, and you can feel the yearning. And that's that's when you realize the song's not about just fantasy, that there's about a real thing that that everyone everyone wants more. And, uh, and yeah, it's a, it's a, a very hard thing to shoot. <laughs> There's a lot of cranes yeah. and you don't want people to drown or get electrocuted, but, uh, but that's actually not what it's all about, which is yeah. great. Thank you, John, first of all, for that. Um, and, but just to, everything for me is about heart and emotion. And if somebody, and sometimes that is from the way someone's performing a line, but here it's just like, Again, like the yearning, like what would I do if if I had that chance? And if I'm seeing somebody, they're doing that with an expression or they're doing that with a dance move, like I want to put that in the film. 
Like that is just another way of them just saying, you know, um, I want this. So it's an, it's an, I want song for, for an entire community. Yeah. Well, and that's the way that you guys, uh, sort of cut it to pulse with the music. I mean, that's a whole art form and it's so beautifully done. It's sort of like a great mix of like, you know, music video form with the classic, you know, musical that we all know. Right. And it has that technicolor beauty to it. And I, I, the crazy rich Asians, one of the things I really loved about it is just sort of like a amateur cinephile is just the way it referenced sixties comedies. And, and it had that kind of, um, fun, you know, enjoy to it. And this one also made me kind of feel like I was in a classic, um, movie musical. So it made me also wonder, uh, John, uh, whether, you know, uh, what kind of musicals uh, you may have revisited or ones that are favorites of yours that kind of might have informed your eye somehow? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I went back to revisit because I, I think I am a of a generation that was remixed of many things. Like you said, there are music yeah. video things in there. I mean, Michael Jackson music videos. Uh, made me believe in magic. You know, I would sit there on the, watching The Simpsons on a Sunday night, waiting for it to uh, to have Michael Jackson's premiere at the end of it. And our whole family would sit there and we would watch it and we'd videotape it and then watch it again. Um, to me, it was like, this was the modern musical because we grew up on musicals. Singing in the Rain, West Side Story, Wizard of Oz, Sound of Music. I mean, that was all our, on, in our house all the time. We went to, on the weekends, we'd go to shows uh, whether it was ballet season, opera season, musical season, um, so, and and this one, what I love about, well, I love about the progress of music, is that we have our taste is so wide from all around the world. So uh, you can you can hear the rhythms in this. I mean, Lynn, communi- we're the same age, so Lynn communicates that very well. He's making references all over the place, whether yeah. it's Rent or Disney animated musicals, and so I'm sort of writing off of that while bringing. Other classics in my mind, whether it's Singing in the Rain or, or even like, I know Mimi and St. Louis is like a totally different one, but I, but I do feel this idea of home was very present. And, and, and I, what I remember of uh, Mimi and St. Louis is this framing, always framing like in the windowsill, of the t- even the titles have frames around it, like home is, is in a frame. And, and so that shot of Usnavi uh, looking out at the bodega and he's yearning, he's dreaming. And we see a glass in his frame. It's blocking him. And the reflection in the glass isn't his community feeling sorry for him or ignoring him. No, they're looking right at him, and they're, like, challenging him to dream. They're daring him to break that window. And then Alice, with that camera, is turning the screw by just pushing in, doing that very slight push in. So everything, that pressure cooker, you imagine that glass breaking. And and that glass won't break the whole movie until later. But, like... That's we're setting all of that up through the language of music, through the language of cinema, through the language of acting. And, 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 and all of that came from seeing how the great musicals, when, they, when all three are together, um, you think of Royal Wedding, you know, Fred Astaire uh, walking on the walls. Of course, so many people have copied that. However, what if, what if you took that outside? 
and for me, it actually came, even though there's similarities, you know, outside is very different because you can't get on the side and can't do it. But I remember looking up at the buildings, being a tourist in Washington Heights, and you look up and you're like, that's a giant dance floor, that side of that building. Like, that's actually <laughs> yeah, super right. elegant. And what if they were to use that space? Because that's what it feels like to fall in love. Um, so all those things came from somehow, consciously or subconsciously, from those old musicals. Um, but we just want, but in our own way, using the bits and pieces that we needed. Yeah, yeah. If I can right. add to that, if I can add to that, I Please. feel like, um, you know, for me, I, I'm a similar sort of musical um, theater film nut, mutt. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, films like The Music Man or Grease or Purple Rain or all that jazz are all kind of like swirling in my head. It's like Music Man is like, okay, that's a version of like Americana, Main Street. Okay, well, this is the same film, really, if you think about it. <laughs> it's, yeah. not Harold, it's not Harold Hill, you know, there's Snobby here, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Grease is like, it feels like the Salon Ladies, you know? And, or all that jazz is like, feels like at times like, I'm sort of disembodied from that film. It's kind of, you know, scaring the hell out of me. And there's moments with Yusnavi, you know, at the beach during Pacencia Fay or uh, Alabanza, I was just like, I feel lost. I feel that pain, you know? And so all those films really influenced me without, like, and it wasn't necessarily studying them, but I think sure. it was just like, you know, yeah, that, it comes that, in that, through your eye. Yeah. 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 I mean, even Lion King, The Circle of Life, we. That opening of in, of in the Heights was like, what's what's the lay of the land? What are we coming into? And it's these families, and they take care of each other, and this community, they, and everything works in this way until one day something happens. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. to me, that was what was there was some definite influence in that. Last night, the movie premiered in New York. Where did it premiere? At the Palace Theater in Washington Heights, of course. Of course. Wow, that must have been must have been really emotional for that whole cast and all of you to come together to be able to touch, hang out. You know, I assume everybody was like mostly vaccinated. What was the the vibe um, at the premiere? Myron, why don't you start? Because you were um, emotional. It, Myron it was, was weeping probably, through the it movie. Was, it was it was exhilarating, emotional. I mean, that was the first time I'd seen John seen it a few times with some um, you know tastemaker screenings uh, with an audience, and but it was the first time I had seen it in a, over a year, wow. you know, with with an audience, and I'd forgotten that feeling. But it was it was like that feeling back in you know February of 2020. But on steroids. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. after a musical number, it was, you know, the thunderous applause, like almost shaking the seats after a musical number. I mean, that is, if that's not the cinema right there, I don't, you know, the talk about, you know, capturing the wonder of it all. Like I was, I'm like looking at the screen like, oh my God, I just, I, you know, we've, this is me escaping into this film. You know, it's, it's what it's. Really, if, if I felt like a kid again. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it's kind of wonderful to think that you can 
having made it already and knowing all where all the cuts are and the seams and the backdrop and the backstory, you can still experience it in a direct way like that. It was, um, I mean, everyone was there. A lot of people were there for the first time in a year. So people wanted to applaud. People wanted to get up out of their seats. And we had a, we had a movie that allowed them to, that actually asked them to. Uh, and that was really, and to be back in the town that welcomed us um, so and, and that we discovered so much about. I mean, making this movie was like lo- writing a love letter while falling in love. And we then went away. We got kicked out. And now we were back. We were back at the place that inspired the original music in the first place. Uh, and we were going to bring home this museum piece that will live forever, that crystallized these streets. They say in the movie... Say it before it disappears, Washington Heights. And we screamed it in the theater when they said it in the movie uh, yeah, so that yeah. it wouldn't disappear. And now we had this piece of uh, story that um, you can't destroy. That, yeah, was, yeah. That, was, that was moving to be there with the people. Well, um, I'm excited for people listening to this to go out and, and, and have that experience themselves and myself to go to the theater. Having already seen it on the small screen, I, I'm excited to have a totally different experience in the theater like that. Um, I just want to point out also that um, one of the great young stars of this show who I want to just shout out about is this guy, Gregory Diaz, who plays the younger brother of uh, Unavi, and he's so, you know, in these in the classic musical, you need a great comedy uh, character. You need a great comic <laughs> character, right? And he really does the trick. He's an amazing actor and really funny in this um, in this movie, and I'm sure he'll he'll go far in that as well. Um, so good. When we brought him in, everyone, you know, usually that role is played by someone a lot older. He's 14 when we're shooting that, and and everyone treated him like a kid. He, you know, he would come in like a kid, like with his backpack and all this stuff and and then people were like oh he's in a he's in this movie okay uh, and then they would protect him like they're his little brother and he make jokes crass jokes and people would have to you know um, it became so natural and you knew that that's the spice we needed in that and he, yeah. I love Gregory he has such a big heart and he's growing up right in front of him. he has a mustache right now two years later yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of amazing. Like it's almost like a, a time capsule of what three years ago when the, some of this was shot. I mean, that's um, I don't know how exactly how long how long ago was it when this was twenty nineteen twenty nineteen is when we shot it in the summer. Yeah, wow. So um, well, it's it's uh, marvelous that it's coming out. I'm very excited for you guys. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, there's there's one one thing I would say that yeah. Um, I've seen it with Crazy Rich Asians that this that that things change not because of a movie but because of a statement of a fact. You know, when you stream a movie, you don't know the facts. Oh, this was the most streamed movie of November. Okay, great. We don't know, have numbers, and yeah. other people determining that. The one thing about the box office is that the people are determining that. They show up, and you cannot deny that fact. There is a real number on a piece of paper Monday morning, and yeah. all the projections are based off of those. And all the things that had precedent before that have been holding back movies like this about communities like this uh, get either pushed up the list or down the list. Um, it is crass, but it is a reality. And the, sure. the, 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 the time is right here in front of us for people to show up and make that statement. And I know that that's, no one wants to talk about money, but it is a reality if we're talking about sure. making a difference. 
that if people show up, I promise you there will be more stories like this. And there has to be more stories like this. Um, mm-hmm. This can't be the only one in a long time again uh, since West Side Story. You know, the, this there has to be a lot more. So uh, I encourage, as a call to action, to actually get out there and do it. Now it's time to do something. Um, yeah. And there will be a lot more. And do you got do you what else do you have in the pipeline? What are you what are you working on? Myron, Don't what are you, you working on, Myron? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's this show, there's an Apple show that John shot the pilot with, uh, and I cut and w- continued to edit um, while John was prepping uh, in the Heights, and he was like, uh, "You need to stay here and uh, carry the mantle." And so I may go back to that. And, and, then, and he's directing, by the way. Yeah, what is the? Tell us about that, that Myron, that TV show. Well, Home Before Dark is about uh, is about Hildy uh, Lasek, uh, who is a real life uh, reporter, and we uh, her fictional name is Hildy Lisko, and her it's about her family and it's about her basically um, solving a real life um, a real life murder. Um, and uh, the second season is more of an environmental mystery, which premieres on Friday. <laughs> the, the timing could not be better this week. <laughs> and I was lucky enough on the um, the second season because I did so well for John and Dana Fox, the showrunner, that they said, "Will you come cut on it?" And also, do you want to direct an episode? So, ironically enough, I actually went to Vancouver to direct the episode while we were mixing in the Heights, and I got two days into it, and they shut down. Right. And um, so I had to go back home, and then, luckily enough, uh, John was like, hey, do you want to do a little bit more work on the movie? Uh, and so we opened up the cutting room again, and we did a little bit more work, and then we started mixing. And while we were mixing for the second time, they said, do you want to go back to Vancouver and finish up directing this episode? So it was probably the longest first-time director uh, of anybody, <laughs> like over six months. Um, and, yeah, I, I may go back to cut and direct, and then hopefully I get to join up with John again on his next uh, next film. Can we talk about it? <laughs> yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah, uh, I'm doing. I'm, I'm I'm working on Wicked right now um, with Universal, and it's a uh, it's another musical. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it's uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to return to Oz, this place that is so iconic, um, not just in cinema, in musical cinema, um, and in a time right now where our innocence has been lost. And what does that mean? What is what, what? Where do you go when you realize life isn't a fairy tale? That relationships are messy and complicated, and uh, how do you actually truly change? Not, not just ignore it and uh, pretend everything's happy and move on. But what do you have to go through? It might be painful. There might be a lot of fighting. You might have to ask people to do things to step up and be brave. You might have to forgive some people. But that's the only way real change happens. And I think there's such power in that story in, in Wicked of these two women um, who uh, have this friendship in a place that is changing. Um, so uh, that's I'm excited to dive into that. Well, I'm, for one, I'm very excited to see more musicals in the world. And certainly what you're saying is welcomed by me because uh, one of the things you've said in maybe in the press somewhere 
that I was reading was that I think that we have had a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows, successful ones and, and some really great ones, uh, over the last many years that uh, the, the focus has been on darkness. You know, there's like a, a cynicism and a kind of self-consciousness that you see in a lot of movies and uh, nowadays, and some people want to see that, and that's fine. But um, it would be great to have a little renaissance of something, uh, you know, a little more optimistic and a little more that pulls us together a little more than uh, rather than dividing. And so I, I, I'm glad to to hear that you're making this and in in the heights fulfills that uh that mandate as well and um if you're listening to this go out and see it go check it out in the heights this weekend john chu uh myron kirstein thank you so much for coming on inside the hive and maybe we'll have you on a year from now and we'll be talking about a totally (laughs) different musical (laughs) sounds good thanks for having us And that's our episode this week. I'd like to thank my guests, John Chu and Myron Kirstein, and of course, my lovely co-host, Emily Jane Fox, our fabulous producer, Brett Fuchs, the people at Cadence 13, who helped make this possible. And if you liked this podcast, I hope you did, hit subscribe at Apple or Radio.com or wherever you get your podcasts and join us every week. Please support our sponsors the way they support this podcast, and we will see you next week. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.